Hey everybody, it's Lon Seib and it's time once again for your weekly wrap up and I thought we would take a look back at my 2021 tech predictions. I made a video last year predicting all the great things we would see this year and unfortunately I got most of it wrong. Let's take a look. So we're going to break out today's video into three sections. The first is all the stuff that I got completely wrong. There is one item that you could argue I was partially correct about, so we'll explore that one in a minute. And then there are two items that I did get correct. However, those were really easy to predict. Now, if you wanted to see the video I did last year with all these predictions, you can go to the link that you see on screen here. I know a lot of you enjoyed this video last year, so I thought I would follow up on it because I said I would, uh, just to see how we did one year later. And as always, hindsight is 2020. All right, let's jump in now to the things that I was totally incorrect about. Last year, I said unequivocally that 2021 would be the year you could buy a full self-driving car. And that's because I had some confidence that Tesla's full self-driving beta was getting very close to completion. That is not the case. They still have a ways to go. And you can watch a lot of YouTubers who've been messing around with the full self-driving beta and see that sometimes it works really well and other times not so great. Now, in fairness, though, to Tesla, they did open up their beta program significantly. So right now, about 150,000 people have clicked on the opt-in button to get their car into the full self-driving beta. And Tesla has added a lot of new users to the beta over the last couple of months. In fact, a friend of mine in town got in. But there's a catch to how this works because when you opt in, the car is going to start looking at your driving habits and rating you on how well you drive or not. And here is what my car is currently reporting. I've got a score of 97 and I have not yet been asked to join the beta yet. And in fairness to me, I'm getting dinged on things that are really not my fault. So the other day I got hit with a forward collision warning penalty because my forward collision warning went off in the car, even though it was a false alarm. There was a vehicle that was turning down a side street, and for some reason, my car thought it was going to collide with it, even though there was no chance of that happening. And then every time you get cut off and have to hit your brakes, you're hit with unsafe following and a hard braking. So it's really hard to get a good score on this thing, uh, because a lot of times you're dinged again for things that really are not your fault. However, they are working their way down the score ladder here. So initially it was just 100s, they moved down to 99s. About two weeks ago, they started letting in people with a score of 98. And of course, as they go down these scores, there's a lot more people in each of those categories. So it might take them a while to get through the 98s over to the 97s. Although to be honest with you, I'm kind of okay waiting a little bit longer given what I've been watching on YouTube. But it looks like the a new version of the beta 10.6 just rolled out yesterday or today. And if all goes well with the latest beta, they're going to let another group of users in. I think they're adding them at about a thousand a time. But you can't just go out and buy a car like I predicted that can drive itself. So better luck next year on that one. Now, the next one I was totally wrong about was VR and AR hitting its stride in 2021. And I was basing this prediction on the fact that it looked like the Oculus Quest 2 was selling really well last holiday season. And its competition, namely things like the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, were in short supply. Those things have been in short supply all year. 
The Quest 2 has been available all year, and while it's selling very well for a VR headset, it's not anywhere near where it needs to be to break through as the next big consumer electronics device like a smartphone. It's a lot of fun, it's still really cool, but I'm still not seeing consumers latch on to VR technology the way they have onto other technologies. And of course, there's still a lot more buzz around game consoles than there is around Oculus Quest and other virtual reality technologies. That isn't stopping, though, Mark Zuckerberg, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. He's changing his entire company's direction to focus on this metaverse, a lot of it involving putting people into virtual worlds. I think it is a tremendous error on his part. I don't think he's got the vision to carry this forward. I don't think people want to strap screens on their head and walk around in virtual worlds. I think where this will probably end up is in augmented reality where you can overlay useful data on top of the things that you're seeing with your own eyes. I think that's probably where it's gonna go, but we'll see. But my long-term prediction here is that this metaverse that Zuckerberg hopes to build is only going to appeal to people like him, not the rest of the world. Now, the next one we're gonna talk about is one that I think I'm partially correct about, which is advancements in biotechnology and testing, especially as it relates to the pandemic that we've been dealing with over the last couple of years now. And my interest in this actually stemmed from my visit to CES in 2020, where I and many other people, almost everybody I knew that went to the show, came back super sick with some degree of symptoms that largely mirror what COVID-19 looks like. I was knocked out for the better part of a week with 104 fever. I was like really not feeling too great. Thankfully, I recovered and felt better, but I never knew if what I had was actually COVID-19. And if I had it, I probably would have been able to do more in the economy knowing that I had some long-term immunity. But unfortunately, there was no test I could take to prove that I was more protected versus somebody who was not exposed. And I was very excited to see some developments in T-cell testing. And of course, T-cells and B-cells are part of your body's adaptive immune system. So a lot of times the media focuses on antibodies, which are really evident of a very recent infection, but your body has ways of remembering the types of pathogens that it encounters, and it can often pull those memories back up, sometimes decades later, and prevent something in the air from killing you should you catch it again. It's a really amazing part of our biology, and there wasn't really a good way to quickly test at scale for your long-term immunity to various types of pathogens. And one company that I was really excited to learn about was called Adaptive Biotechnologies. Now this company claims to have solved the scalability problem by approaching T-cell testing in a very different way than the way it's usually done. So typically they go and take some blood and maybe bone marrow and start looking for these specific cells with specific markers. It is very labor intensive. What they do at Adaptive is they take a blood draw and they sequence every single T cell that they can find and then they use an AI system to compare what they took out of you to the T cell markers they have found on people that they knew had COVID-19 at some point. And if enough of those markers match up, then you get a positive result. And if they don't, you get a negative result. And we were talking about this test last year as something that might be very groundbreaking. It wasn't yet available. They did manage to get it up and running early last year. 
I got tested in March. You can go to tdetect.com and get your own test if you want. Now my test though came back negative, but this only continued the mystery of whether or not I had COVID-19 at uh, CES. And the reason why it continued the mystery, even though the result here looks pretty definitive, is that their test is only accurate to about five months or so after the alleged infection. Anything after that, there may not be enough of these active T cells in the bloodstream to make the determination. So unfortunately, we're not quite there. But if you think you had it over the last five months or so, this test might indicate whether or not you have some T cell reactivity in your bloodstream. And the cost of this test is a little bit more than what you might pay for an antibody test. But I think if you're within that five month window, it's probably going to be more accurate. About $220 if you go to a LabCorp location to get a blood draw. And compare this to what I was charged for your standard up the nose COVID test at my local Yale New Haven hospital drive through location. This is the only place I can go to get a test. They tried to ding me $737 for a standard COVID test. I was there for all of five minutes, just long enough for the lady to stick the thing up my nose in the car and be on my way. And what happens here is that if you don't have insurance, this is what they bill the government for. In my case, because I have insurance, my insurance agreed only to pay $135 of it, and that was it. But I wanna know who's paying the difference on this stuff. And it just shows you how much money is out there for doing diagnostic tests and how much money we could be saving if we were smarter about the data that we were collecting. And I think things like adaptive immune testing would be a really good benefit to figuring out risk levels and how we can approach these things smarter in the future. Now, the good news is, is that there's some great research going on on this topic and a great source of information about it is Dr. Monica Gandhi. She tweets all these reports out as they get released and you can find her at the link you see on screen. What I really like about her approach to presenting data to people is that she's not going one way or the other. She's really given you a pretty good level-headed approach as to what we know and what we don't know and how we should be reacting to things perhaps smarter than we have been. Uh, so definitely check out her Twitter account if you wanna learn more. And we have gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but on this topic, I'm gonna to say maybe on this one because the test is available. We're just not using it the way I hope we would be by now. All right, so let's move on now to the things that I got correct for 2021. And to be honest, these were things that I knew would likely come to fruition and I was very safe predicting about. Uh, the first one, of course, is that most ARM PCs in 2021 would be Macs. And that, of course, turned out to be true, especially when you look at sales. There are a couple more Windows ARM PCs now than there were a year ago, but they're just as bad now as they were two years ago. They cost more than their Intel equivalents. They don't perform nearly as well. There's a lot of compatibility issues. It's just not there. Whereas on the Mac, they made some tremendous strides with their M1 processor over the last year. Uh, there's never been any compatibility issues and the performance has been spectacular, even out of the base M1 chip. We now have the higher performance chips and most of the Macs now being sold are running with M1. And I would say by the end of this year, the last two holdouts there on the list of Macs that you can buy uh, will be moving off Intel and over to M1 or M2 or some other 
uh, M1-based technology that Apple is working on. And I'm looking forward to seeing if we get an M2 processor this year, which I predict is likely going to happen. And finally, I correctly predicted that satellite broadband would become a thing in 2021. And thanks to Starlink, it clearly has. They're up to about 140,000 users as of November, at least according to this PC Magazine article. And the speeds have been increasing quite a bit too. Uh, here is a recent post on Reddit uh, where this user is getting about 400 megabits downstream and almost 25 megabits upstream. It is clearly very close now to what you would get out of a baseline cable subscription, but you can do it with a dish anywhere in the world, sort of. Unfortunately, even though they have made great strides in getting the service rolled out and many more satellites are now in orbit, a few more just launched the other day as a matter of fact, there is still limited availability based on where you are on the ground. Uh, so case in point, uh, we got in a Starlink dish here to review here in Connecticut. I kept the service for about a month, but I didn't need it. My thought was I could cancel it and then reactivate should there be a big storm or something that knocks out service. Unfortunately, I cannot reactivate right now because all the slots in my area are full. So they do have a ways to go here before this can become like the universal satellite service similar to how a cell phone would work but still there has been tremendous progress here as you can see and we've done a lot of content on starlink over the last year uh, which you can see in my playlist here we hooked it up at my brother's place in vermont i was back up there just recently for a follow-up visit to see how it was working and we got a great tour of his maple syrup facility up there and i'm going to be talking to a friend of mine in town who's had it and has been measuring its performance in a very detailed way over the last couple of months. And we'll get to him uh, in an upcoming wrap-up episode because I think you will be very interested to hear how this service works over the long term with some good data. So lots more to come on Starlink. And let me know if you're watching me on Starlink down in the comments below. So that is going to do it for this look back at my 2021 predictions. I think I did okay, but you can always do better. And I think what I'm going to do for this year's predictions video is get the predictions from all of you. So in the comment section, leave some predictions for what you think 2022 is going to look like for technology. I'll grab a bunch of the good ones and put them into a video that I'll do right before the end of the year. And then next year, this video will not be rating my predictions, but yours. It'll be a lot of fun. So let me know down in the comments below what you think is going to happen in 2022. Now, this week's wrap up is being brought to you as always by all of you. We didn't have any new supporters this week, but I do want to thank the people who've been contributing to this channel on an ongoing basis and all of you who watch on a regular basis too because all of those things equal channel growth. And if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We support Floatplane, the YouTube membership program with that join button. And of course, we've got my donor box page that you'll find at that support link on screen. You can connect with me in a bunch of different ways, including my extras channel where we've got supplementary content and unboxings. And then, of course, we have my Amazon shop where you can find most of the videos that I do here on the channel ad-free along with my live streams. You can engage with the channel with my very infrequent email list at lon.tv email. We also have the Facebook group and the Discord so you can connect with other viewers of the show. And then, of course, we've got my store where I sell previously reviewed items 
that I am getting rid of, and most of these items I purchased for review, and they are pretty much new. They've been opened up and reviewed and played with, but they're in pretty good shape most of the time, and if they're not, I'll let you know. And if you want to be notified every time we add something to the store, you can go to lon.tv slash store alert to sign up for my special email list about store updates. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support of the channel. Hopefully, we'll get these predictions honed better for future years, but it's always fun to make predictions and then look back a year later and see how we did. So let me know what you think down in the comments below. And until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Hot Sauce and Video Games, Brian Parker, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Thomas Anfang, Jim Tannis, and Handheld Obsession. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.